Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the good folks at Ditchwich. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined today by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Hey, Aaron, we got kind of a uh, Western flair to the show today. We do. We are uh, actually heading to the state of California where Western anglers Chris Ball will join us to discuss the California Delta, and Jamie Cyphers is on deck to talk about swim baits. Man, that sounds great. I'm ready. Let's do it. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing day. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Egg, the official audio program of Bass Egg. Aaron, we're kind of settling into the new year. We are. You know, there's been uh, a lot of things going on, but it's nice to finally get back, I think, to steal your phrase and, and be domesticated for a little while. <laughs> well, I've been a little too domesticated. I'll tell you what, I need to get out of the house. Of course, uh, I'm bad about telling my wife, man, I got cabin fever. I can't explain to her somehow that uh, cleaning the garage is just not a cure for that. It's just, it's just not the medicine for the disease. Yeah, I got a kick out of your uh, most recent uh, newsletter article on uh, discussing those things, but uh, I'm not even going to take a stab at that, Steve. You're on your own on that. But you know what I mean. I do know. I, I can relate and I can <laughs> empathize, put it like that. But I do. I'm really excited about uh, the way things are looking. The show, the website, it's just all coming together and into a great new year. Boy, it is. You know, and, and one of the things that I want to just take a moment, obviously with kind of being a, a little bit of the personality, I get to hear a lot of, you know, thanks and, hey, great job. You know, things are going well. But there are so many individuals that's behind the scenes here at Bass Edge and you know just just the like you said the podcast the new look to the show the new look to the website and just to kind of mention a few you know Steve Leslie who is our audio editor has just done a phenomenal job he actually composed Steve the mm-hmm. original music for Bass Edge TV and the new podcast. And, you know, you're talking about talent. I mean, the guy actually has a recording studio, put all the, the instrumentals together and everything like that. So, I mean, what a fantastic job. And, you know, then, of course, we have Don Hertz, yourself, you know, who followed us on every single shot and, and location and the content. Jacob, who is one of our editors, you know, Matt, who's back doing all the sub-segments. Sudo, who's handling all of our PR and Jennifer and Walter and Drew. Uh, so there is a, just a whole entourage of people that really make Bass Edge what it is, and, and I just want to personally tell them thank you because, you know, quite frankly, I feel like I've got the easy job. Well, I'd like to second that. They, they, they're they all great people, and my goodness, they make us look good. But uh, all the folks, uh, you know, they get to see you and what a great job you do on the show and a uh, great job you do personally on the podcast, but uh, I doubt that they realize how much hard work you do behind the scenes. <laughs> And uh, it takes a team, man. It does. And, you know, I'm, I'm living the dream every day and just love meeting people and uh, and getting to do that. Anyway, thanks yeah. off and hats off to them. Hey, you got a little travel on your books there, don't well, you? Well, we do. And I am excited. You know, we say on here often, if we cannot be on the water, the next best thing is to actually talk about being on the water. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I get to do in the upcoming weeks. January 31st, I am actually going to be at the Outdoorsman Sports Shop located there at 1010 South State Road in Greenwood, Indiana. I'll be doing a series of, of seminars. Would love for 
for uh, any of our Midwestern fans to, if they happen to be in the area, to stop in and uh, love to meet you and talk a little fishing. And then also a little bit later, middle of February, it looks like the 12th through the 14th, we'll be at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for the Eastern Sports and Outdoor Show, have a series of seminars that we'll be doing up there. Always look forward to that. Well, Aaron, I know you got some great seminars that you do. Which which ones are you going to do at the Harrisburg? Um, you know, I have uh, actually two that's coming up. There'll be a total of six seminars, but the ones that I'll be keying on is going to be seasonal conditions and patterns. Uh, which I think is applicable whether you're a crappie mm-hmm. fisherman, catfish, bass fisherman, but just understanding those seasonal conditions takes a lot of the intimidation factor out when you approach a new body of water. And then secondly is one of my favorite, uh, and that is the finesse fishing. We'll be getting into things such as shaky heads, drop shotting, use of electronics, all that type of stuff. Well, that's funny that you mentioned those two particular uh, seminars. Uh, kind of been what you've been up to lately, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I hate to say that I, I have actually just taken a little uh, R&R time to get out on the lake, my home lake, here in my backyard, which is Table Rock. And uh, yes, I've, I've had two opportunities one of which uh, had a good friend of mine, Joe Mitchell, that came up actually from Louisiana. We, we actually did a podcast with him way back uh, about a year ago concerning the Red River. And, of course, anything over 10 feet is, is deep to him. So I, I was able to spend some time with him out on Table Rock doing some deep fishing. And, you know, you won't believe it, Steve, but we actually got out there, tried getting a bite on crankbaits and jerkbaits. just wasn't happening. So at 11 o'clock, we actually moved out to the deeper structure. When I say deep, about 80 feet and uh, between 11 and 4, put 28 keepers in the boat. And, I mean, I was just, we were having the time of our life. Well, you know, I, I've been in Missouri seven years, and I'm an old Texan, and I'm, I'm kind of like that, you know. Uh, we didn't fish much in the winter. Our old Florida bass at Lake Fork just wanted no part of this cold weather. But one of the things I caught into real quickly up here is this winter bite, this deep winter bite, and using the birds to find these fish. And I'll tell you, you know, I've tried to sell this before, and I'm going to pitch it again in here. I spoke with a well, the biologist here in Missouri about this, and he goes, yeah, we've heard that, but I don't know. He sounded doubtful, but I'm telling you, I've seen it time and again, where the gulls get out there and fly around looking for bait. They find the bait, and they sit on the water and start squawking. And lo and behold, I never see where they come from, but all of a sudden, the loons show up. And when you get the loons diving, that's where it's going on. Well, it's funny you mention that, because that is essentially what happened. We were, again, kind of the definition of insanity. I was really wanting to get on a, a jerkbait, crankbait bite for him. We were idling out, and of course, you know, deep fishing is always kind of my backup that, that we'll go to. But we were idling out of a cove, and the gulls were just going nuts. I mean, they were just swarming, and we heard that squawking. And I said, Joe, I said, we've got to go. That is exactly what is happening over there. Went over there. On the graph, I mean, it just looked like, I mean, my graph just blacked out from the amount of bait fish and uh, the bass that were under that, set a waypoint, lowered down, and, I mean, we just went to work. And, you know, the interesting thing is that is how nature works together. I don't need a biologist to tell me that because I've experienced it, not to sound, you know, that, that we're going against the grain, but I can promise you... I totally attest to what you just said. Well, and I love that kind of fishing because it's visual in its own way. It's 80 feet from you, but when you watch them on the graph, it really is, like Mike Webb says on our Electronics 101 video, best video game in town. You see those fish actually come up and get your bait. Well, you, you do, and, and, you know, a 
again, the situation that I experienced with my daughter, I took her out the following week, went back to the same area. Of course, you know, those bait fish schools move a little bit, but they hold in the same general area. Uh, she's five years old. Put her up there with her little ultralight kind of crappie <laughs> rod, and she was actually yeah. even able to do that. So it's it's a technique that once you understand and once you realize, the, you know, the benefits, because these fish are not, you know, when they're that deep. Now, we were catching them, you know, from 70 to uh, 45. Of course, they moved as the day got warmer and the sun came up. They started getting a little bit shallower, started bringing the bait fish to the top. But bottom line, anybody can do this type of fishing. Well, yeah, and you and I were speaking about this before we came onto the air here, and uh, we're uh, sort of cooking up a little trip ourselves, but uh, sounds like i got to do some work before I go. Absolutely. Jigs or something? What's going <laughs> yeah. on there? Yeah, well, I, I can tell you this is one of the ways that our trout fishing community has uh, once again benefited and, and translated <laughs> over into success in the bass world. You know, when we filmed with Dave Wolak out at Lake Murray, he actually showed me some jigs that he had hand-tied, bucktail jigs, and he said, Aaron, you know, he said, you really ought to try these. Well, you know, he didn't have to twist my arm because I could tell by looking at those that those would actually work. So that's that's what I did. I, I tied on these jigs. They're eighth ounce. They're bucktail white jigs. Had a very, very slow fall. Now, I can tell you one thing. You have to have patience because to get an eighth ounce jig to sink to the 60 to 70 foot range takes a long, long time. But what would happen is because of the slow fall, I really think that's what benefited that bite. You could see these fish just streaking straight up, coming to eat that thing. And every single one that we caught, Steve had three and four bait fish that they would cough up at the same time. Wow. Well, I tell you what, you better not bail on me. You got me excited now. I'm ready to go fishing. Have you ever known me to bail when the fish are biting and, you know? Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It looks like it's going to be pretty cold this week, but I don't care. I'm, I'm game. That's right. But let's get away right now, come back, and I'm anxious to hear your interview with Chris Ball. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Hello and welcome back to The Edge. This is Aaron Martin, and joining us this week is probably one of the top frog fishermen in the country, and that is Mr. Chris Ball. Chris, thank you so much for being part of The Edge. Thank you, Aaron. It's, uh, it's just a pleasure to be here talking with you and sitting here looking out at this river. Well, I know. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of doing this shoreside here at the California Delta, you know, sitting here looking at the grass beds, the tules here at the marina, calm water. Matter of fact, we just had a big black bass come up to a, uh, a clump of grass right next to us. You know, it's, it's hard to be sitting here talking about it when we could be out on the water. Oh, you ain't kidding. Hey, I wish I had my fishing pole with me right now, Aaron. You know, speaking of having the fishing pole, uh, we were able to really just spend a phenomenal day on the water filming for the Bass Edge television show. And, uh, you know, really before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the California Delta and, and going through maybe some explanations of what our viewers and listeners can expect you know, should they come out here and uh, try their hand at fishing? Oh, definitely. You've got to come out here to the Delta. There's there's 1,300 miles of, of shoreline out here, and it's a real varied river system. Any kind of structure you could ever dream of fishing is out here. Rocks, docks, 
weeds, toolies, uh, wood, and the the type of fish that you can cover out here is universal. There's bluegill, crappie, sturgeon, salmon, striped bass, black bass, smallmouth bass. The catfishing is unbelievable out here. For anybody that's interested in coming out here, I suggest you make a trip out here. I think you hit the nail on the head from the standpoint, I didn't quite comprehend, you know, you see it in the magazines, and we talked a little bit about this during the show, uh, you see it on television, but until you really get out here, you don't recognize the amount of diversity that this presents to anglers. It's an incredible fishery, it really is. The other thing that's really neat about this, Aaron, and you saw that during our show, is as we were fishing in an area, we actually had three seals come up to us. Um, You can see anything from seals to raccoons to snakes, frogs. That's the stuff that's just on top of the water, let alone the things that are swimming around there. So it's really an unbelievable place to be around. Oh, and, and, and it's no wonder, I guess, the reason that the bass grow so well when you see all of their food source, but also cover. And I think you saying that, you know, you've got the rocks, the wood, the grass, and the vegetation. Let's start breaking this down. You know, when we started, obviously we knew uh, we wanted to do a, a specific, you know, frog show. What led us to the areas that, you know, what caused you to pick the areas, I guess, that we went to? One of the keys in determining where you're going to start your frog fishing, not only out here on the California Delta, but anywhere across the nation in the summertime periods, The best areas to target for frog fishing is matted vegetation. You need an overhead canopy, what I call is a roof. They need a roof over their head, whether it's matted vegetation, whether it's moss, tulies, even boat docks that provide shade. Those are all excellent places to throw a frog. So that's what's the determining factor in how we were going to approach our fishing, that we had 100-degree weather, no wind, and we wanted those fish to have overhead protection and uh, get them to come eat our frogs. Well, and to even take that a step further, you know, really for me trying to key in and say, okay, you know, obviously you and, and your partner, Bobby Barrick, I think you've won some astronomical number like 70 boats or, or something that's out there. I mean, obviously you have not only the bait, but also the fish dialed in. And when I recall going through, you know, the spots that we fished, we were not just casting to random grass patches. We were looking for very specific, almost, I guess, isolated. Yeah, that's a real good tip for your listeners, Aaron. One of the things that I try to approach in my fishing with topwater baits, primarily with a frog, but you can do with other baits, is to look for areas that have the vegetation or the overhead structure we're looking for, but look for something that's a little bit different than the norm. If you're out in a a big flooded bay or a pond or a river or a creek, wherever it's at, Look for something that's maybe a little off the beaten path. For instance, uh, a small patch that's maybe the size of a pool table that's stuffed in some toolies or a smaller patch away from all the larger patches. Something that's a little more controllable for that fish where that six-pounder can get underneath there. She can control her area and not have to worry about being bombarded by everybody else in a, in a real large, vast area of grass. And, you know, I think also, you know, to add to that, when you brought up about the points and the, the tulies and the grass mats, that played out very well during the show. Yes, it did. And that's what we primarily targeted. The areas that we targeted had a lot of grass throughout the entire area, but our, our best success and our best bites, the biggest bites, came from isolated pieces of grass. They were small in size. They were pool table size to maybe the size of uh, uh, the hood of a Volkswagen. Those held single solitary fish, and uh, that's where we got our better bites. And, you know, it's not to say that the other grass areas or or pieces of vegetation, you know, just because of the larger size, don't have fish. It's just that 
you want to, I guess, narrow down and increase your percentages of success. It makes your fishing a little bit easier. Once again, when we get back to talking about a large area that has a very large amount of structure, whether it's moss or grass beds or whatever it is, to go back to look for something that's a little bit different than the rest of it, if you do get a big bite in that stuff, then you can start to look for other areas, the same type of structure that you fished. It makes your fishing easier. One of the biggest problems with throwing that frog is not the frog itself, it's the areas that you're throwing it in. If you have acres and acres of weeds, it's hard to throw that frog and stay with it all day long. So that's why I like to target the isolated patches. If I do have some success in those, then all I have to do is turn 360 degrees in the boat and start to look for those isolated patches. And that is going to help uh, as far as identifying where the fish are at, and I'll be more efficient in what I'm looking for. And, you know, speaking of frogs, when do you, I guess, break down, okay, I'm going to use, in your case, like the snag proof or the what we call the hollow body frogs versus, let's say, a swimming frog? Primarily in my frog fishing, I'll use a snag proof frog 95% of the time. I, I like to keep that frog on top of the water, on top of, once again, the matted vegetation, moss, grass beds, things like that. Uh, there are times when I do throw it in open water as well. That's when I'll pick up that white one and I'll throw it to the, the Thule points and open pockets and Thule's boat docks, things like that. There is a time when I do pick up a swimming frog, though, and that's when the weeds are not as thick. They're a little sparser, and I throw that just very similar to the way you would throw it a buzz bait or a Zara spook or, or a walking type bait like that. You can get some really good bites doing that. Well, and, you know, the other thing is you cannot throw a swimming frog across the type of stuff that we were fishing because you will get no action out of the legs as well as it's going to be nosing down into the grass. That's right, and, and that's where I use that swimming frog, where I've got open areas of where I have open water, basically. It can be open water pockets in between the grass mats, on the edges. Those are outstanding areas to throw that swimming frog. When I'm dealing with a situation where I, I, I have figured out the fish and they want it on top of the weeds, that's when I'll go to the snag-proof frog. You know, another thing in, in looking back here at our day, we had some situations to where, you know, quite honestly, just to put it bluntly, we missed some fish. And, you know, the thing that I remember you saying is, hey, welcome to my world. This is frog fishing. It is frog fishing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a great way to catch them. But it can be a frustrating way, too. The, the hookup ratio can sometimes be low because those fish are coming through two or three inches of vegetation to get that frog and they might miss it by two or three inches. So the best key or tip that I can give you and your listeners is, as far as catching these frogfish and improving the catch ratio is when you get that bite, like I was talking to you, Aaron, count one, two, and then wreck their day. Keep that rod tip at 6 o'clock, and when you set the hook, end at 12 o'clock and keep reeling. Do not drop that rod. Well, and I think something else that was very critical, not only talking about the mechanics, the rod positioning, being ready, facing the bait, all the different things that you brought up on the show, but also you have to keep your eye on that frog. And, you know, quite honestly, it was hot. It was 102 degrees, I think, that day. You know, no yes, wind, which is great conditions. Yeah. We were looking into the sun a lot of times, and, you know, we're making those long casts and trying to squint, even with our, you know, these great sunglasses mm -hmm. and all that stuff that we use. Bottom line, you take your eyes off that for one second, it's going to ruin your world. It does, let me tell you. You know, and I kind of look at it this way. I mean, if you want to try it at home, take a silver dollar, tape it on your wall, and stare at that thing for about seven hours and watch and see what happens. The key is with that frog, it's, it's mechanics number one, and you have to keep your eye on that bait. I cannot tell you, Aaron, how many times during my fishing over the last 15 years with this frog, 
how many times when I've turned away to look at a bird or talk to the guy I was fishing with and hear, and she eats it. It's almost as if those fish know, hey, guess what, Charlie? He's turn, he, He's not looking at that frog. Let's go ahead and wake him up. It's heart attack fishing at its best. Sure. And, you know, with that being said, the other thing is from a boat drifting or, you know, you get that bow in your line, man, that's another kind of, I guess, a no-no. It is a big-time no-no. Mechanics are very critical in frog fishing. Number one, face your frog, keep your body at the frog. The rod position is important, but having that line in a direct line with the tip of your rod and where that frog is absolutely critical. It's hard to do in windy situations. What I do is I'll make my throw, and before I start that retrieve, I try to pop that rod tip up and reel at the same time and take as much slack out of that line as I can because when you get bit, you want to be able to have a direct line to that fish when she eats it, which is a straight line. You know, in talking about topwater fishing, regardless if it's frog fishing or what have you, obviously we know it's probably one of the most exciting techniques to do. With that being said, though, you know, a lot of times in topwater, you have a fish that, that, let's say, that misses it, or maybe you're throwing a buzzbait or something like that. The frog situation, what I appreciate so much about it, you're bringing across that top of that mat, and let's say you see all of a sudden it looks like the mat just lifts up, or you see something that's under it. You can literally sit there and what I would consider sight fishing Mm -hmm. for that fish because they've shown themselves. Yeah, they'll let you know a lot of times out here when they're getting ready to hit it, which it's hard to stay calm in that situation. For you guys that have seen the movie Jaws and you see the big wake (laughs) that happens, a lot of time these big jokers out here will do that. They'll let you know, hey, I'm coming after your frog. And that's where you've really got to, you've got about a second and a half to make that decision. Number one, you've got to make sure we go back to mechanics. Make sure you're in position to drill that fish. And make sure that when she does get it, you let her take it down. Well, and, and I know one of the very good points that you made there on the show was when we saw that, barely move it. You know, you're like, get her to eat, get her to eat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just there's some little nuances like that that you can actually do to try and entice that. Maybe if it came up and didn't eat it or suck it in right off the bat. There is. There, there, and really that fish is, you, you might have to have one or two fish eat it or miss it to kind of tell you how they want the cadence of that frog. Normally, I, I bring it at a pretty just, you know, three twitches, stop, three twitches, stop, three twitches, stop. But sometimes you'll, you'll want to let that frog sit there. Aaron, you had a gargantuan <laughs> fish that we got on film where we talked about the cadence of that frog. And, and for the listeners, tune in to Bass Edge on the TV show there, and you'll be able to see just how that fish ate that bait. It's kind of a trial and error kind of deal. So you, you may have to go through one or two fish to figure out how they want it. They may want it sitting there. They may want it as you get off the edge of those weeds to really pop it real quick and let it sit. Sometimes they'll bolt out. It looks like a missile got shot out of a submarine when they come and get it. And kind of shifting gears now, you know, we've, we've uh, more or less provided kind of the areas that you target, how to work the frog, the mechanics. One of the things that we have not even touched on yet and is so vital here to the Delta, and that's the tide. Yeah, and, and you know, we could, spend, we could spend a year talking about tides, Aaron. One of the things that, that, that I talk about in seminars and, and when I'm talking to some people about fishing as, as well as what we talked about during the week here is tides. The one thing that I don't do is get so wrapped up in the tide to where I start running around like a chicken with my head cut off. The first thing that I'll do is I'll find out when the high tide is and when the low tide is. And I want to make sure that whatever area I'm fishing is, I want to be an hour before the high tide and an hour after the high tide. Same thing with the low tide. An hour before it gets all the way low and an hour after. If you keep it basic and simple like that, if you're in an area that has some fish, you're going to get some opportunities. Well, and we saw that play out throughout the course of the day. You know, one of the things, you know, obviously I had not been out to the Delta here 
uh, fishing, but exposed to the Potomac and, you know, the Hudson. But the tidal fishing is, it can shut off just like flipping a light switch, but it can also turn on like flipping a light switch. Oh, definitely. Aaron, you know as well, when we were out there fishing, it, it was pretty much the Dead Sea out there. We had no wind. There were no fish breaking. The birds weren't even flying. Uh, and as that water started to get towards the top of that high tide, which we had talked about, that's when I really like to throw that frog. It, there's more water underneath those weeds, gives them more room to move around. And when that gets high like that, everybody starts moving around. The shrimp, which the bluegill target, they're moving around. The bluegill are after those guys. The black bass are after those guys. Uh, everything just seems to start moving around, and that's when you start to get some really good bites. Our last 30 seconds here, provide some advice. Somebody that's coming out, you know, I drove 2,200 miles to come out here. Obviously, we want to make sure that you can have success, and there's so many fish, and so it's such quality of fish out here. Where do you suggest that they start? I mean, you know, just by putting the boat in the water. If you're going to come out to the river any time of the year, the, the best times are, of course, uh, late spring, early summer. Those are great times to catch a lot of fish. They're great times to catch the trophy of a lifetime. You can catch them with a flipping stick in the toolies. You can catch them with crankbaits on the rocks. You can catch them, of course, on topwater with a frog, a zara spook, a buzzbait. You can catch them with spinnerbait, sinkos, drop shot. That's the neat place about this. The area that I would target if I was coming out here as a first-timer would be the central delta. It's centrally located. There's plenty of bays, sloughs, creeks. There's enough just in the central area delta right there. You could fish it for five months and not fish at all. Well, great advice. Chris, before we get out of here, any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to leave us with? Well, first of all, I'd like to welcome you guys off to California, Aaron. You guys, you, you have a heck of a show. Your website is awesome. And uh, for anybody that's coming out here, don't be afraid to throw different styles of baits. And, and don't get so caught up in the tides that, that you ruin your fishing. Just go fishing, and you're going to figure out how to catch them. The other thing I'd like to maybe mention is if any of your listeners or viewers have any questions, they can get on BassEdge.com and shoot me some questions. If you guys want to know uh, specific frogs or topwaters or, or anything about the California Delta out here, I'd love to get back and, and give you the answers on it. Well, there you go. From the frog man himself, as I like to call him, Mr. Chris Ball. Chris, thank you so much for taking time to not only be a part of Bass Edge Television, but sit uh, here and, and do the interview. Best of luck in the upcoming future, and we'll talk to you again soon. You too, Aaron. Hey, thanks for your time. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe. Stump grinder. And tool carrier ever made. The Zahn. The revolution is here. Hi, I'm Denny Brower, and you've got the edge. And Aaron, I enjoyed that. Chris is such a good guy. He is a top-notch guy, and not only did I enjoy the interview, but, man, I, I tell you, what a day on the water. Well, now, you know, this is one of the shoots, we'll tell the folks, this is one of the shoots that I was unable to go on, and I know the Delta is just an enormous fishery. Now, where did y'all fish? Where, well, where did y'all fish? Boy, you're right about that. I think there's something like 1,800 miles of shoreline um, that's out there, and, and maybe even more than that, I don't know. But it is an enormous place. We actually stayed at Mariner Cove Marina on Bethel Island, and that is literally right behind, it's kind of a neat deal because it's right behind the level 
levee. And so you actually have water that was uh, higher than what we were, but it was centrally located. It really put us in a, in a great spotting. And quite honestly, I don't know that there's a bad spot on the Delta, but man, what a trip. That show is fantastic. It's one of my favorites that I've seen in the studio. And uh, I don't know, you guys, it seems like when I don't go, y'all have the best trip. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you, you know, the frog fishing and combining that, obviously I like, you know, top water fishing of any kind, but this frog fishing on how we were doing it uh, above these these grass mats and, and kind of those mats that were not only isolated, but those that were up against the tules. And then the other thing you throw in there is the tidal fishing. I mean, good night. It certainly made you forget about that it was over 100 degrees that day. <laughs> well, I didn't miss that part. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you and I have kidded uh, already this year that uh, this sort of seemed to be the year of the frog. I think we fished uh, maybe at least three of our shows this year with frogs. But when you look at this show and some of the others, I think it's a great illustration of how with any one given bait, there can be so many different applications. Well, no question. And, you know, if, if you look at not only different applications, but there's also different styles. And one of the items that we focused pretty much exclusively on during Chris's show was, you know, the hollow body style frog. But what we did, we used two different variations, two different sizes, different styles, different weights, things along those lines, and then obviously color applications. But some of the other shows that we did was more of the swimming frog, you know, like the uh, the Zoom horny toad or the Stanley frog that's out there, the ribbit. And it's very interesting to see how you fish those two baits differently because the swimming frog, obviously you're fishing it more like a buzz bait where you're keeping it moving across the water. And the hollow body is very effective because it floats, it sits there, it comes through that vegetation very, very good, and uh, man, it just really entices the bass into biting. Boy, I tell you, one thing they have in common is those bites make good television, man. Those, I love those blow-ups. I tell That's you great. one thing, you better have a strong heart when you go get into that, because I mean, it took such a focus and concentration of, you know, when that fish explodes, I mean, it, it's undescribable. You've really got to focus on, on making sure you get a good hook set, getting that fish up out of that vegetation as quickly as what you can. Well, and then I guess this is the second time this year on the show that we fish tides. You're getting to where you like that, aren't you? I do. I really, really like tides. And, and one of the neat things about the Delta is that you have some really, really you know, large fluctuations in the highs versus the lows. You know, down when we were last week at Chafalaya on the Cajun coast there in Louisiana, you know, the tides weren't quite as pronounced, whereas out on the California Delta, I mean, you know, the bottom really falls out of it. But one thing about a tide, regardless of where you go, it can really position the fish, and it's literally like flipping a light switch. Yeah, and now that you mention it, those were the two hottest days of the year that we've ever shot. Boy, that is for sure. I mean, but one of the things that heat does, you know, anytime you have that vegetation, that overhead canopy creates shade and ultimately gives, you know, the bass some security. And by bringing those frogs right across the tops of those, we really had to find out if, if the fish were holding in the center of the mats, if they were holding on the points, because each isolated grass mat, you know, you fish it just like you would any other topography. And finding out where those fish were was part of the interesting, you know, chase. Well, and that just goes to show, you know, you can get in habits of using a bait in a certain way, but you just need to be open out on the water. Dr. Jay's talked about it many times. Experiment and makes you know and, and apply all these different applications to the same baits in different areas. 
Yeah, no question. And I thought Chris did a great job of showing that on the show. Obviously, he's done a lot of quick tips so you can see firsthand of exactly what we're talking about, some of the modifications that he does. He just pulls out a Sharpie of different colors, marks up that frog, takes the scissors, trims off some of those skirts. Mm. Um, and I can tell you it made a big difference, big enough of a difference to where I actually ended up winning my bet. Yep. Uh, and you made him jump in the water. I can't believe <laughs> I didn't make him now. He was, he's a, he was our guest. No, 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 no. You, what you forget is he's the one that said it. I, I, you know, I just basically delivered, uh-huh. and I, you know, to to put it in perspective, I got to buy him a steak dinner as well because he ended up there at the end of the day uh, putting a pretty good sized fish in the boat too. Well, that was that was a lot of fun. I think that is uh, really one of the great moments in the season. Uh, I know the folks are going to enjoy it. Certainly, one I won't forget. Hey, Aaron, we got a pretty good question this week. Well, we do. It's actually uh, from Ronnie in Corsicana, Texas, and answered by Bob Lusk, the uh, fisheries biologist. That's great. A couple of good Texans. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) Well, listen, his question is, if he's only catching small bass in a cove, where should he look for bigger fish? And uh, good question. And Bob basically replies that small fish have small ways. They school together, often running like gangs, pillaging and chasing bait fish. They tend to frequent shallow water and actively hunt for small bait fish. While the small fish do that, larger fish tend to stay oriented around the points on the outside edge of the cove, probably suspended near cover or structure, waiting for a larger meal to swim by, such as a small bass. Come out of the cove, zero in on the points in adjacent deeper water, also change the tactics. What works for small fish doesn't always trigger a strike from larger ones. Bob Lusk, editor of Pond Boss Magazine, fisheries biologist. That's great advice, and when the Pond Boss speaks, I listen. Absolutely. I've seen too many times of the information that he shared with us here on The Edge, and personally, that uh, it pays off. Well, Aaron, let's take us a quick break, and we'll be right back with your interview with Jamie Cypress. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Hi, I'm Moses Mokawahi, and this is Bass Edges, The Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us this week under the Inside Edge installment is Western Pro uh, longtime friend, and that is Mr. Jamie Cyphers. Jamie, thanks so much again for being part of The Edge. Oh, thanks for having me, Aaron. I hope you had a happy holiday. And- oh, yeah, just kind of getting, you know, to the end of it and uh, anxious to talk a little fishing because, you know, this time of year you kind of get a little bit of cabin fever. And, um, you know, after watching last week's episode that you did on swim baits, kind of before we tag off into that, swim baits are really something that, quite honestly, is not a new invention but seem to kind of be all the rage right now. Swim baits have definitely kind of taken over the country as far as, um, well, for all size fish for that matter, but especially for big fish. But, you know, you and I both know those, those are baits that we used as kids. They just, they called them sassy shads, and uh, they were real popular for uh, white bass and stripers. And, of course, occasionally you popped a largemouth or a smallmouth using them, and 
why we didn't all figure out that they were going to just be incredible for them, you know, 25 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of one of those things where you wish, man, why didn't I come up with that idea? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, absolutely. you had mentioned on, on the episode, uh, on the Inside Edge that you'd done on the show, about pacing. You know, that bass will often come up and pace your bait. Does that happen pretty much across the board, regardless of the type of swim bait you're using? You know, I think it happens a lot with the larger baits. You know, for me, when I use swim baits, I kind of break it down to different sizes. I try to match the hatch, of course, if we're dealing with, you know, silver size or threadfin shad, gizzard shad, things of that nature. Of course, on many of the western lakes uh, and high mountain lakes, we have trout, uh, which really brings the bigger ones into play. But the pacing aspect seems to really happen a lot with the larger baits, the 8 to 10, even 12-inch baits. And what we notice anywhere, even lakes that don't have trout, is bass are aggressive. And I can tell you right now, I've gone ahead and I've used big MS Slammers and 22nd Century Triple Trout, which are, are like four-ounce wood plugs. And I've used them on bull shoals. So while, while half the guys at the Legend Factory were scratching their head and couldn't believe I was getting, you know, four or five pounders to show themselves, they would pace it all the way out to the boat. And what I was using them for in that situation was kind of showing them the effectiveness, but more so trying to get an idea of where the fish were. And what happens is a lot of times early in the year, uh, early spring, maybe late in the summer when they're schooling, is you'll bring up a whole pack of fish, and they're not really sure if they're going to commit to the bait, but they'll fall, they'll taste that bait back to the boat, and it's just an awesome way to get the fish to show themselves, and a lot of times you can go back in with a smaller swim bait or a sink or something like that and pick those fish off. So it's kind of like taking a search bait to a whole different level. It really is. It's a search bait that right off the bat eliminates all your one to two pounders, cut and dry. If you're out tournament fishing and you need big fish, Amistad or, you know, or back on Stanley Cooper or Falcon or any of that, and you're looking for those larger fish and you need to find those five and six, you immediately eliminate all the one to two pounders right out of the equation, and it's a great avenue to find big bigger fish, especially in a tournament situation. So to kind of narrow our focus with the remaining half of the time that we have left here, you know, there's so much that we could spend talking about. Swim baits certainly will have you on more to be able to do that. But whenever you look at the, at the classes or the categories or however it is that you divide those up as an angler, how do you know what bait to select or what type of swim bait to use under certain conditions? Well, I find under really clear water conditions, I tend to like the soft swim baits, you know, like the Bass Tricks. Bass Tricks is a popular one. The Swim Treats from Kamikaze are great. Uh, the Baby E's are very popular. A lot of the listeners around the country have probably never heard of Swim Babies, and they make the Baby E, and it's FLW Pro Art Berry that came up with this, and that is probably the biggest secret in the Western United States for catching really big fish. On the other hand, when we go into more active fish, stained water, where I'm trying to displace more water and I'm really trying to get the fish to hone in and find the bait, then I tend to like to go more to the hard baits. Uh, Sabil's got a great one out, the Magic Swimmer right now. It's a phenomenal bait, makes a lot of noise. Jackal's got the new Giron. It's another great bait. So those kind of hard baits, um, big wooden baits, the 22nd century triple trout, those baits have a tendency to displace more water. They make a little more noise. So under stained water conditions and stuff, they can be a little more effective for sure. Well, and, you know, in, in our closing uh, thought here, one of the things that you showed us was actually that some of the baits you can cause to spin on a dime and, and really try and entice those fish that maybe are following that to come up and just engulf it. That is so cool, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just it was just amazing. Now, you know, is that something that's hard to do? You know, it's not. It's something that guys like Ish Monroe and some of these pros in the Western United States, uh, Matt Newman, a number of guys, perfected and really just came up with it. And it, typically it works on the triple segment 
two-minute baits, okay? Any of the baits that ha- are, are triple-jointed. And what happens there is you get that nice life bike, slow action, the bait's coming through. And if you give it just a quick, small wrist twitch and then back it up with a, a longer sweeping twitch, you can actually get the bait to turn around and face the fish. And what happens is you get this wolf pack of fish, they're following the bait up. They're not really sure if they're going to commit to it. You see the fish all of a sudden coming up. You give it that quick double wrist twitch. The bait will literally turn on a dime and stare right at the fish, and the fish just explode on it. Well, it's just too much. And that, is, that is great stuff. Jamie, I wish we had more time. Unfortunately, we don't. Uh, look forward to your upcoming episode where we'll join you out on Clear Lake from our excursion out there. In the interim, uh, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? No, I would just say, you know, uh, tell all the viewers and uh, listeners, hey, get ready for a great year of Bass Edge TV. I've been lucky enough to see a few of the trailers. Second if they want to go ahead and email me on Ask a Pro on the Bass Edge website, I'd be more than happy to answer the questions or get them somebody uh, that can answer the question. And, of course, Swimbait Nation. Swimbait Nation is a great site. If you want to go find out everything there is to know and all the little hidden secret guys are doing, that's the place to do it. Well, great information, Jamie. Appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Eric. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, that is all the time that we have for this week, but if you have comments, please be sure to post a rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget, we are on the Outdoor Channel Thursdays at 8 a.m., Fridays at 9 a.m., and Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time with all new Season 3 episodes, and also on the World Fishing Network seven days a week with Season 1 and 2. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and to sign up for our e-newsletter, product giveaways, and Ask the Pro questions, visit us online at BassEdge.com. Steve, who do we have on deck for next week? Hey, we got one of the really up-and-comers, uh, college angler, Jonathan Van Dam, whose name you may recognize. But uh, when we were up in Minnesota with him last year, he showed us what a great angler he is, and I know we're going to have a good visit with him. Well, that is right, because we'll be heading to uh, Pike Bay Lodge there on uh, Lake Vermilion, I believe. Yes, it is. It was a very special trip. I can't wait. Well, for Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we will see you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.